You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's balloon decorating has turned events into experiences, and celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Divas worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life, any event that you can possibly imagine, Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on Facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin. A production of Sloan Studios. The following may contain strong language and adult situations with depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. It's usually a peaceful and a quiet place. The kind of place that people like to settle into and call home. Warren County, Kentucky. In the center of it lies the small town of Bowling Green. Its small size and humble nature kind of contradict the fact that it's actually the third largest city in the state of Kentucky. But in the last several decades, the town has seen a massive economic boom, and its stature within the state has grown. The town is home, like we said, to the famous Corvette Museum and Factory. Western Kentucky University, which is now the second largest college in the state and the headquarters of Fruit of the Loom and the Lost River Cave, one of the most beautiful and different natural wonders of the United States. Well, with all of this scenic beauty, thriving economy, and history, Bowling Green has become a beacon of prosperity for the entire state. But it wasn't that long ago things were much different. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is Episode 60, The Murder Mansion, a real Kentucky horror. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. Over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in America alone, the mountains that so many people call home, also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world. The missing. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. The murdered. All my emotions just went blank, just like, just blank. And I still live with that today. I think about that so much today as he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was that was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. I mean, it was a, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. 
does not look like an airplane. Okay. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd. But they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries. And now your host, Chris Sloan. Back in 1948, the town was just starting to stretch its feet a little with a brand new Union underwear factory opening during this time, which provided a greatly needed boost to the town's economy. There was this guy called Charles Martin. He was a doctor and his wife, Martha. They lived in relative luxury due to a lifestyle afforded to them by Dr. Martin's status as a prominent physician in town. They lived on the outskirts of downtown Bowling Green, in an elegant yet imposing mansion across the street from Fairview Cemetery, where they raised their son, Stonewall Martin. Now, the mansion where the Martins would live for three decades was purchased by the family back around 1918 and was considered a local landmark by the population during this time. The Martins were well known in the community for the extravagant parties that they would often throw in their home and on more than one occasion possibly tried to set up their son with someone that he could date and then marry. Well, time marches on, and as the years went past and Stonewall grew older, their efforts grew fruitless and Stonewall would find himself a bachelor at the age of 52. Some would say worse things have happened. Harry Edward Kilgore was born on February 28, 1923. He lived in Glasgow, Kentucky, and much like the Martins, the Kilgores were also well-known in their hometown as Harry's grandfather owned the town newspaper. But despite this, Harry's early childhood must have been filled with some kind of hardship, as his father, Reed Kilgore, committed suicide in 1925, leaving his mother, Ella, to take care of Harry and his sister, Ella, alone though she did eventually remarry. It was in his youth that Harry developed an interest in music and sought schooling in Glasgow before moving to nearby Bowling Green to attend Western Kentucky University. There, he met Ruth Ann McKinney, a fellow WKU student who was a few years younger than he was. Now, despite this year gap, a connection did form between the two of these people, and they quickly became a couple. The two students eventually crossed the path of George Daggett, who was 35 years old at the time and a music professor at WKU, as well as the head of the piano department. George and Harry, it's said, became very good friends, and they would spend their days and even weeks together at a time. George himself said he only gave extra attention because of Harry's interest in music, Um, but this would come into question a little later on. Around this time, Ruth Ann McKinney came into the company of Stonewall Martin, most likely at a party or some kind of social event, and the two, well, seemingly they hit it off pretty well, as the two were soon married on the 23rd of June, 1948, leaving shortly after that on their honeymoon. Now, neither of their lives would ever be the same when they returned just a few days after Ruth and Stonewall Martin left Bowling Green on June 29th. Under the cover of darkness, Harry Kilgore drove his car into a wheat field close by Fairview Cemetery. 
It was after that that he grabbed a revolver and walked the remaining distance to the home of Charles and Martha Martin. He broke in through the door and entered the home, where he caught Dr. Martin by surprise in the front hallway, and without hesitation, Harry fired several shots at Dr. Martin, and one of them struck him in the head. The wounded doctor tried to flee back into his bedroom, but the 80-year-old retired physician was no match for Harry. As he fled into the bedroom right behind Martin, Kilgore fired several more rounds into the doctor. Harry then shot Martha Martin in the back of the head as well when she attempted to run. Now, according to evidence that was collected by police and later Harry's own testimony, this would show that Harry spent a great deal of time inside the Martin home after committing the murders. Now, it's alleged that he tormented the Martins further, even in death, by abusing their corpses with a flashlight and then shooting them both several more times. After stealing some personal items from the family, Harry left the Martin home and later told police that he'd disposed of the gun by throwing it into the Barren River as he fled Bowling Green and drove back to Glasgow. Once he was back there, he sought refuge with his mother, Ella, where he could be found later by police, and it was not very difficult. The next morning, at around 7 o'clock, the bodies of Dr. Martin and his wife were found by two workers who were scheduled to be on the property that particular morning. Police were quickly called to the scene, and they soon had a lead on the case. Well, working from a tip, police traveled to Glasgow to talk to Harry. They found him in his car, parked right in front of his mother's house. Like I said wasn't challenging. Police asked Harry to come back to Bowling Green, and he did so, willingly. A search of Harry's car came up with several of Martin's belongings, including Martha's purse and a flashlight with broken glass, along with 32 caliber shell casings. Well, these were later identified and used to tie Harry to the murders during the trial. In Harry's original confession, oh, he took full credit for the murders and didn't name or list anyone else as an accomplice. He stated that he was angry with the Martins because their son Stonewall had lured his girlfriend Ruth Ann away from him, and he killed Stonewall's parents out of an act of revenge. From the start of this case, Harry's sanity was constantly being called into question. And he changed his statement several times since his original confession. After the judge ruled him as being sane enough to stand trial, Kilgore pled guilty to two counts of murder and was sentenced to life in prison for both accounts. Though 14 months later, after receiving his sentence and being returned to jail, Kilgore made a surprise confession, one that sent ripples through the case and to this day is a source of a lot of controversy and mystery. Despite originally claiming to have committed the murder alone, he now claimed to have had an accomplice the entire time, his music professor, George Daggett. According to Harry's confession, George Daggett and Harry concocted a plan for both of them and Harry's girlfriend, Ruth Ann, to lure Stonewall Martin and use him to steal his parents' vast estate, which was considerable. Ruth Ann was supposed to marry Stonewall, then George and Harry were to murder both of the Stonewall parents so their assets would be inherited by Stonewall. Then they were to murder Stonewall and have Ruth Ann inherit the entire estate, 
what a twisted web we weave. You see, the three of them were then, allegedly, supposed to share the money and would live together in luxury for the rest of their lives. Harry's testimony was heavily scrutinized due to his mental state. Researchers observed his depravity and his desire to kill, and that caused others to question if Harry was even telling the truth. Nonetheless, based off Harry's testimony, an indictment of accessory and extortion was handed down on George Daggett. For his part, George fiercely denied the allegations and provided a timeline of events that occurred on the 29th of June. He said that night, Harry came to his apartment very distraught and asked the professor to come to the university with him. Well, the two made their way to the music building, but left after seeing that the building was occupied. The two walked about town for some time before George actually returned to his apartment and bid Harry goodbye sometime around midnight, according to the story. George would even testify that Harry's mental instability throughout this time at WKU as a student, including his delusions and threats to kill members of his own family, were present. But several key factors and pieces of evidence would cast a lot of doubt on Daggett's innocence. Find out what those key pieces of evidence were right after this on The Mountain Mysteries. You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's balloon decorating has turned events into experiences. And celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Diva's worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine. Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life. Any event that you can possibly imagine Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on Facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin. They are making a statement that they believe. They believe in things we can't explain. And they believe in the ability of an independent podcast to make a difference and keep the memories of those we've loved and lost alive. You can too. Get your official gear from the Mountain Mysteries. T-shirts, embroidered ball caps, jackets, sweatshirts, and more from the podcast that everyone is talking about. Get yours today at www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com and shop on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Mountain Mysteries and show your support for the Mountain Mysteries. Stay mysterious. Support the Mountain Mysteries on Patreon and get early access to all episodes. With three tiers, it's easy to choose what you want. Five and ten dollar tiers get you early access, plus free gear, behind the scenes bonus content and more, plus access to interviews that would have wound up on the cutting room floor. Find out links on www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com and on facebook.com forward slash the Mountain Mysteries. Support the Mountain Mysteries and stay mysterious. Maybe the most damning thing of all was the fact that Harry testified that the revolver used in the murders was stolen from a former roommate of George Daggett's. You see, this weapon, this gun, was stolen about six months before the murder and four months after George had moved out of the property. 
Friends and students reported George and Harriet spent a lot of time together in the months leading up to the murders, though George continued to assert that he was just helping shepherd Harry's growing interest in music. George Daggett would resign from his position at WKU in time. Well, it was a short amount of time. It happened as the trial was actually commencing. He would later be convicted by a jury of his peers and sentenced to 11 years in prison. But that conviction would later be overturned because of a lack of evidence, and another trial would end the exact same way, with the charges against George eventually being dismissed. The prosecuting attorney in the trial believed that George was the mastermind behind the entire thing, and he was the contributing factor in Harry's downfall, but not enough evidence could ever be found to prove that. Eventually, George left Kentucky after the trial and moved to Detroit. He apparently found work as a piano player and would spend the rest of his life there until dying of a heart attack in 1963, although the circumstances surrounding his death are still shrouded in mystery even to this day. For her part, Ruth Ann was never investigated and a connection to the murders was never formally established. Although some involved in the case suspected Ruth Ann and even Ella Kilgore had somehow been involved in these murders and a conspiracy. But nothing ever came of those thoughts or rumors. And both women lived the rest of their lives out in peace. But tragedy would continue to follow the remainder of the Martin family throughout. As Stonewall would die nine years later, in 1957... Now, whether or not it was a conspiracy or a random tragic coincidence, well, Ruth Ann McKinney eventually ended up with a Martin family fortune, which, according to sources close to the case, they said that Ruth Ann was in a real hurry to collect. She allegedly visited the Martins' bank daily for weeks, hounding tellers and bankers for the money of her late husband. She's cried all the way to the grave and smiled all the way to the bank. Harry was coincidentally up for parole that same year, but he was denied by the parole board. You see, Harry's sanity was questioned several more times in the intervening years, although he was judged as mentally sane and judged to have known the difference between right and wrong in each individual time. He served about 16 years of his life sentence before he finally earned an early release on parole. And when he left jail all those years later, guess who was waiting for him? Ruth Ann. But as a part of his parole agreement, Harry had to leave Kentucky. So he and Ruth Ann did so. They left Bowling Green and they moved to Fort Pierce, Florida, where the two lived together until Harry died in 1981. Seems that one day he left his house to go on a bike ride and he was hit by a passing person driving a car. Harry died in the street, and he was laid to rest in Florida, leaving behind a mystery with a lot more questions than there'll ever be answers. The murders were big news in Bowling Green back in that day, with many reporters and journalists from surrounding towns traveling to Bowling Green to cover the story and trial. Questions surrounding the case still remain and documents covering the murders as well as documents from both trials can be found in the Kentucky Historical Museum located on WKU's campus. Oh, as for the town, Bowling Green? Well, they moved on from the murders. And it 
they've become a symbol of Kentucky's renewed economic growth. Now, the mansion where the Martins were tragically killed still stands there today. You can actually see it. And it has exchanged hands several times since the murders. The house has become infamous in Bowling Green's history and referred to as Murder Mansion by locals in reference to its bloody past, of course. But there is this mythology of sorts, and it's developed around the house in the decades since. It was reported that when the house was sold in the 60s after remaining vacant since the murders, bloodstains could still be seen on hardwood floors within the home. And, as is typical for such crimes, all kinds of rumors of paranormal activity in the house have persisted. Although previous owners have denied any kind of activity having ever occurred while they were there. But these reports still remain, although unsubstantiated. Previous owners have also taken the house's reputation in stride, carrying on the Martins' tradition of holding annual parties at the mansion, with some of these parties falling on Halloween. The newest owners of the home have distanced themselves from the mansion's infamous past, and they discourage sightseers from taking pictures of the house and visiting the property. It seems that despite moving on and establishing a new identity for itself, Bowling Green and the Murder Mansion will never quite escape the shadow of its violent history. Well, this story of the Mountain Mysteries ends on an unexpected and, uh, I guess, a somewhat poignant note. Someone close to the case and to Fairview Cemetery reported that Ruth Ann McKinney had been back to Bowling Green as recently as 2012 to see if her grave marker next to her first husband, Stonewall Martin, was still there and open. Odd. Despite the tragic events that have marked her life since marrying him, it seems that Ruth Ann still held affection for her then-husband. It should be noted that Ruth Ann and Harry Kilgore lived together after his release from prison, but they were never married. Ruth Ann was the last survivor of the Martin murder saga. She passed away a few years ago in November of 2017. Whatever role that she may or may not have played in this mystery, we really hope that Ruth Ann McKinney and the rest of the Martin family have finally found some peace. Please like and subscribe to The Mountain Mysteries on Apple, Spotify, and where podcasts are found. And become a Patreon supporter. Get early access to all episodes. And don't miss the gatherings on Facebook, YouTube, and other social media pages each Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm Chris Lone for The Mountain Mysteries. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.
a production of Sloan Studios. Stay mysterious.